welcome to the Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm Sherry Davidson. And I'm Candace Rogers. This is our quaint, warm space where we will share our passion for well-being and explore everyday living in health, wellness, and design to help you thrive in your life. Welcome to the Health and Wellness Podcast. This is episode five, Biophilic Design Part Two. I'm Sherry Davidson. I am an acupuncturist, an integrative health coach, and a former interior designer. And I'm Candace Rogers. I'm an interior designer. I'm a board member of the American Society of Interior Designers, Texas Gulf Coast Chapter. I'm also a wellness designer and a wellness design advocate. And in the last episode, we introduced you and dove into biophilic design. We discussed the health and wellness benefits and the different ways that you can incorporate biophilic design into your spaces. And today, we're lucky that we have Jackie Berry with us to discuss biophilic design even further, specifically landscape design and indoor plants and the benefits of both and how to easily get started. So I'd like to introduce Jackie. Jackie Berry, registered interior designer, landscape designer, and interior design professor. Jackie has been in the design industry for over 30 years. Design is her passion. Starting her education in interiors at the University of Houston with a BFA in interior design, then on to graduate from the Gerald D. Hines College of Architecture with a master's degree in architecture in 1992. Professionally working as a licensed interior designer for many years in Houston's architecture and design community, primarily specializing in corporate design at WHR and then ending at PDR. In 2006, Jackie left PDR to start her own landscape design firm, Wildflower Landscape Design. Transitioning from interiors to exterior, all while practicing her second passion, teaching. Jackie began her teaching career in the same program she graduated from at U of H, was a program coordinator and affiliate professor at the Art Institute of Houston, and is now a full-time professor at the Houston Community College. Her greatest accomplishment is truly being a part of Houston's promising and talented interior designers educational journey and seeing each one succeed in a career and profession that means so much to her. Welcome, Jackie. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming. And you are not a stranger to either one of us. We both know you. I met you at PDR. You know, I w- when I read your bio, I was trying to fit the timeline in because I thought I left PDR in 1990. No, I mean, I'm sorry, 2000. Yeah. Were you an architect? probably right. Is that right? Yeah, because I started there in 90, 97. I don't even know now. Yeah. yeah I, it I, all seems so far away now. I hate to even count my numbers of years of experience. It makes me feel old. No, I was sitting here trying to place it all. And I was just like, man, 1990. I mean, I'm sorry, 2000, because I moved to Austin in 2001. Yeah. When I left PDR, I went into Chinese medicine. I was, that's when I went into school for Chinese medicine. So that's crazy. It's super crazy. And that we stayed in touch. I, that's, I love Facebook for that. Exactly. So it's It's weird when you think about it, because imagine life without Facebook, it just would be totally different. And you and Candice know each other. Yeah. Through HCC. I think I got there right as you were leaving. Yeah. Houston Community College has a great interior design program. And I think I was just getting ready to graduate whenever you started. So I knew who you were, but I didn't have any classes with you. Right. Yeah. And then I know you through the American Society of Interior Designers. Every year, Houston Community College has this great orientation for the interior design students. I was able to talk on behalf of ASID for the past couple of years. And I think there were, gosh, over the last one was over 200 students, right? Yeah, yeah. The program has really grown. Um, So I started in 2016. And when I got there, it's kind of funny, just like we're talking how small the A&D community is, because I actually work with a former student of mine that I taught at U of H. 
Kevin Hamby. So oh, you Kevin, taught Kevin Hamby. So I taught Kevin Hamby <laughs> at U of H, yes. And um, so when I got to HCC, you know, what he and Shasta Beveridge, the then, you know, associate chair of the program had done. And as you know, it's a great program. I mean, we literally squeeze four years of information into our oh, two yeah. years. <laughs> And, <laughs> and really get some great graduates who go off and obviously do really great things. And we've even had recently, didn't get to have our orientation this year because of COVID, mm-hmm. obviously. But in our, our portfolio show, we're wondering about that. But we get so many good reviews from people that go around and see the portfolios from other colleges, even four-year programs. Mm-hmm. And they say that the things that they see at HCC are just, you know, beyond even four-year programs. So it's a great program. If anybody's interested in interior design, you know, just log on to HCC and, and, and check out the program. I think things will be going back to normal, hopefully um, this summer. We've been online teaching, which has been, you know, interesting transition. Some classes uh, make total sense online and others, you know, are a little bit trickier, but hopefully by summer we'll be back on campus and good, good. back to normal, I guess. So, so that's awesome. I've heard really good things about the program for sure. So how did you how did you get into landscaping? Because I remember, so you were a designer architect and you were that at PDR, right? Like you, you were practicing architecture. And then 19, what did I say? Was it 92? Or no, when did you leave PDR? 2006. Yeah. So, I mean, I love design, but I think as you guys probably know, Sherry, you kind of experienced it too, that as you grow, especially in the com- commercial sort of side of de- design, corporate design, as you grow and get more experience, you kind of move away from doing the design work because you sort of get yourself into project management roles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just sort of go and, you know, sort of work your way up the corporate ladder. And so I was always lucky to be, and PDR was gracious enough to let me teach on the side. And so I started teaching and I started thinking about how can I really stay close to design? And I didn't feel like staying in that corporate model was going to keep me there. So in 2000, I bought my first house and it basically had one pecan tree on it. (laughs) That was the extent of the landscaping. (laughs) And I had always, um, you know, I had been with friends who were interested in that and did gardening and things like that, but it was just really not something that I had gotten into. And so, you know, with a blank palette, I'm like, well, check out this gardening and landscaping stuff. And so I think it was an easy transition because design is design. You know, we talk about the elements and principles of design, no matter what, if you're painting or landscaping or interiors, architecture. But with that blank palette and coupled with my love to shop (laughs) and going to nurseries, (laughs) <laughs> you know, and just this whole new world of plants was opened up to me, you know, and it's like, oh, I'll take one of those, I'll take one of those, you know, and just color pattern, texture, all of that. My first home, putting it all together, it just became sort of this new passion. And from there, um, my next door neighbor asked me to help him with his landscaping. So I did that. And then, of course, with all my friends in architecture and design, I had um, this one good friend of mine who is actually the one that got me into teaching. She also said, hey, we have a client that's looking for a landscape designer. Would you ever want to like try to do that? And I'm like, okay. So I did my first job and then uh, that sort of coupled with a milestone birthday came up and I thought, do I see myself picking out carpets and paints, you know, when I'm 50 and 60, mm-hmm. you know, when I turned 40, I was kind of like, you know, this might be the good time to, to do something different. And so I said, you know, it's now or never. And so I, you know, saved up a little nest egg and uh, quit PDR and started a wildflower landscape design. And I was always teaching on the side too. So I've kind of benefited from being able to have sort of a, a backup, you know, in times because landscaping and owning your own business, as you guys know, you just never know so much positive to it, but it's also very scary too when you're, you're used to having other people bring the work to you and the paychecks coming in and now that's all on you. You guys can relate, I'm sure. Yeah, I can definitely relate. I hear you. And so is Angie Patton still, she's, she was a teach. I mean, yes, Angie- yeah. So there's, again, all those connections, right? So working at PDR, you know, her husband, Drew Patton, was, you know, one of the founding principals there. And then she was our 
you know, sort of design guru, God, you know, it's like whatever Angie Patton says is, is the the rule, the law law of design. So it was interesting to get to go back and teach in the program that I graduated from Mm -hmm. and sort of teach beside Angie, you know, and sort of have her be different or say different things and encourage in different ways than she did as, you know, a professor and then sort of as a um, colleague. That was kind of cool (laughs) and weird at the same time. I I love, I loved Angie. She was one of my favorite teachers. Yeah. And Jack. (laughs) And Jack. Yes. I don't know. I haven't heard haven't heard too much about Jack. I was thinking about him the other day. I wonder what he's up to. I know he was teaching for a while in the architecture school. Okay. And this Jack was our drawing teacher. Oh, okay. Fantastic draw a drawing teacher. Yeah. He Jasta was rendering, so So yeah, Jasta's really good at the rendering stuff too. He is. You know, like Jack, yeah. That's when I discovered that I actually knew how to draw. It was this like awakening, like my whole family is creative and painters and they can draw and things like that. And I just never really got into it. And then when we started rendering, I was like, oh, I actually know how to draw. It's fun. I like it. So she showed me her first, her drawing where she had that awakening. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shasta helped a lot. So can you, are, are you teaching landscaping design at all at Houston Community College? Or are you just doing the interior? You know, just interiors, but we keep, you know, again, COVID. We we recently, you know, transitioned out of the, the department that we were in, the, you know, that had fashion and cosmetology mm-hmm. and all that. And we transitioned over to architecture and construction and design COE. And so we have had plans to offer different awards and certificates and one of them was going to be landscape design we just haven't gotten that off the ground yet and because there's really not so for me you know I always got asked the question well how did you go from interiors to landscaping did you have to go back to school and I said well like I mentioned design is design you know I'm just doing the same things that I was doing inside only I'm doing them outside I'm still planning and looking at color pattern texture you know all of those kind of things but I had to teach myself plants and Mm -hmm. watering and things like that. So I did take a few classes like at Leisure Learning with this really interesting old landscape designer. I can't remember his name now, but he was just this old guy who knew everything and everyone. And so he taught some classes that I took, but then the rest of it was just sort of learn as you go. But there's not really a landscape school or design school here in Houston. Mm -hmm. So it seems like a great thing for HCC. They've got horticultural classes classes but okay. not landscape design so okay. that's something that we have been thinking about we just have yeah and I think like you said it's just kind of natural for designers to also sort of get into the landscape design part I have helped out on that with some of my clients then I also have to consult with someone that is in landscaping because I know the design part but then I don't really know what plants are best for certain areas so yeah yeah so yeah it would be a great addition I think and you know in Houston I know I was going to talk about this later but in Houston I mean we really have you know 10 10 months of planting and outdoor the ability to plant and be outdoors in Houston even though everybody talks about how miserable and hot it is here it's still in terms of we're not freezing right now we're not shoveling snow right now like other parts of the country and so landscaping is a huge business in mm-hmm. Houston you know, and all of the surrounding areas. So there's definitely, I think, a need for it. And then, like you said, interior designers like you and I, you know, we sort of, sort of just fall into it in different ways too. So, yeah. Well, and I feel like just, you know, as far as the weather here, um, that our, our winters have become warmer and uh, we might have, I, I think we might, we had one freeze last year. Yeah. yeah. I know it was great. <laughs> I didn't have to, I didn't have to cover my plant. Yeah. I mean, we've, and and it's great. Like even right now, I was just saying how lucky we are with our weather that, that we can all be outside and enjoy ourselves the time of the year in Houston when it's just so nice outside. I, I think it's kind of flipped, right? Because we used to talk about it in terms of how hot it was all the time. But now if you sort of flip the view of it, it's like winter is livable, you know, instead of the got the three really hot months of summer, 
but then the rest of the year is pretty enjoyable in terms of, and that takes you through the winter months too. Right. You can right. be outside. Yeah. Yeah. And still wear your flip-flops. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, let's, why don't we jump into the biophilic design? And I, I, it's, it's, I think it's a buzzword right now, especially it's a trend among architects and designers. Uh, but what I have found is a lot of people don't know about it and what it is and what it means. And Lan- Candace and I talked about that in our, in part one, but we would like to hear, cause we all say it a little bit differently. We explain things a little bit differently. And so we would like to hear in your words, what biophilic design is and um, why do you think it's become such a trend? Okay. So, I mean, we do teach this, you know, it's sort of one sort of segment of what we teach in interior design, but um, you know, it sort of translates to the outside as well. And I, I think I first heard about it, you know, right after I got out of college, you know, in the late 80s. I think it was something that was, I was aware of, especially working at a healthcare firm. Mm -hmm. There was this connection to, you know, nature and healing. So for me, I think at its core, it's the idea that people have an innate affinity for nature, that we are of nature and that we crave it because we're sort of living beings that are just a part of it, even though we sort of have created these constructs of shelter and places and environments that that we're in, we're still living beings that are a part of nature. And I think that sort of sums it up and that biophilic design then is the idea that we want to design interiors and exteriors in ways that connect us and keep us connected to nature because of all of the positive outcomes of that, right? So you guys probably talked about those things last time in terms of lowering your blood pressure and your heart rate, improving concentration, sort of de-stressing, which we're all looking to do all the time now. It's mm-hmm. like, how can I you know, be less stressed? So I think it's designing with those things in mind. All of those things are scientifically proven that if you are in, you know, sort of contact and connection with nature, those things actually happen to us both mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just sort of in its simplest terms is connecting to nature in your design. And then sort of the second part of your question of like, why is it now seeming to be, you know, trending I think it's kind of two things. I think it's all the technology, right? That so our life is so overrun with technology. And and I don't see, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. It's just where we are in, in our civilizations and how we do things. But, you know, we're constantly on the phone. We're constantly looking at the computer, all those kind of things. So I think to offset that and to balance our sort of being out, we crave nature. So I think that's a part of it. And then also the fact that we spend what 90% of our time indoors. So again, we want that connection. And that's kind of, I think that's sort of the two main reasons why this is happening now. You know, there's a, um, we talked about forest bathing in our last episode too, as part of the biophilic concept. And they've done a lot of research because they they have a a great appreciation for nature and they do a lot of research on the health benefits of of nature. The Japanese, they, they do a lot of research and they are now including technology in part of the biophilic design. And I saw part of, the it was like an art exhibit and you could walk into a room and it they were all computer generated like plants you could interact with it and touch it and it would move around right so i have a feeling that that is going to be the next biophilic design part like you can actually have this experience through technology which i find very right so that what that augmented reality right where you're Mm -hmm. not only just in the virtual reality you're like physically able to interact with things in the virtual so augmented reality yeah it's interesting because you don't want to think that we're gonna just go away from nature altogether and replace it with fake nature but it's still very interesting to think about it's very interesting. I think it's amazing. I think it's wonderful. And I think that hospitals, especially, they have found that if you put a window in their room and they give them a view, they need less pain meds and their stay is, lo- yeah. is not as long. Um, so I find all that very interesting too. And, and I, th- and, and I, th- I think too, that it doesn't have to be, you know, it can be simulated. 
you know, like you were saying, it doesn't have to be the real thing. It's just the view of the nature, the view of different things or sort of the wind on your face, those Mm -hmm. kind of things. Artwork with landscape designs and artwork, murals, things that are sensory with nature too can be just as beneficial. We were talking about yesterday when we were going through this, we were talking about the senses and grounding. The, you know, just putting your feet on the ground is, uh, there is some health benefits just to that. Um, You can actually buy grounding mats and you can sleep on them and you can stand on them. And uh, that all of that is pretty interesting. Yeah, those would be great to have in a workplace or healthcare facility or something like that, even like children's healthcare, where you could go and feel things and touch things that feel like nature. Because, you know, like a lot of our, our healthcare facilities and even our schools are just so sterile. So it would be nice to have all those types of nature elements, especially if it helps with productivity and focus and anxiety and stress. I was watching this uh, new show on Netflix. It reminds me of that. It's called Chambers, but it's about this girl who gets this heart transplant, but she ends up at this sort of new age high school and they're taking her on the tour. And it's all of those things that you were just mentioning. They have like this nap room where there's these pods and you get stressed out. You can go in and just sort of de-stress and take your mind off things. It seems funny at first, but in reality, I mean, just Mm -hmm. taking 15 minutes And putting your feet on the floor and closing your eyes and breathing Mm -hmm. makes a huge difference. So I can imagine if if you're doing all of those things and you have the ability to do that throughout the day, it make a big difference. Well, we talked a lot last time about the interiors and how to bring nature in or even like shapes of nature and things like that. I was really curious how you see the exterior landscaping design and how can that benefit you when you're inside with your views and your recommendations for plantings and things like that, or even now with us wanting to be outside more. Right, right. Well, you know, we talked about COVID. We can't ignore that, right? And that it has, I think we tend to think about the negative aspects about it often. And and that's, you know, rightly so, because it's probably the biggest sort of, you know, life-changing event in all of our lives, right? And so it has caused a lot of stress and fear. But on the flip side of that, if you are one of the people who is fortunate enough to have the ability to stay at home and continue to work, like some of us have, that we spend so much more time at home now. And that's, you know, time in our homes, time outside. And because we're sort of, you know, we were sort of on lockdown for a while, even though that's been lifted, you know, we're spending more time at home. And so want that home to expand, right? And I think I was seeing even before COVID, um, before the pandemic, people really looking at their landscapes as just an extension of their their homes. Mm -hmm. So again, depending on the level of the budget and things like that, right? Certainly creating outdoor rooms is one of the things I think that even more people are wanting to do now. It's Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, okay, even for me, like, you know, I live with my, or my 88 year old mom lives with me. And so she doesn't go very many places except for the doctor every now and then. For us, even having the ability to go and eat dinner out on the patio it feels like we are going to a restaurant. You know, it's just sort of another place outside of our home. So I think that that is kind of a big, big deal now, even more so than it than it was already. For the last landscape jobs that I've done, you know, everybody's wanting edible gardens, you know, so the ability to grow your own, you know, at least attempt to do those things. You know, some <laughs> things are easier than other things. And I speak from experience on that. Um, before I moved to this new townhouse, you know, we built three raised beds and tried my hand at all of that. And, you know, some things do really well and some things don't. And you learn a lot of different things to do and not to do, but everybody wants edible gardens, you know, really easy to even do things like fruit trees, citrus trees. I mean, those are just so rewarding. And I think that even if you have a patio, you can do, you know, citrus trees in big pots. And my advice on that is always get the biggest pot you can afford and that you have space for, even if the tree looks little in it at first. 
but you, that way you don't have to continuously try to repot it or you can plant it in the ground. I mean, for me, citrus are always good in pots because if we do have freezes, you can you know, take them into the garage or wrap them easily, things like that. But sort of back to biophilic design and looking at, you know, landscaping, I think that the sort of idea is making sure that you, like you mentioned, Candace, have the views, right? So paying attention. And that's why I think being an interior designer has helped me as a landscape designer. Right. There's a lot of landscape designers out there that probably don't even go in the house. Right. And so the ability to say, oh, there's a window right there. Let's do something, you know, a um, ornamental tree. Let's make that a focal point. And so that Mm -hmm. we can see it from the kitchen, Mm -hmm. we can see it from the bedroom, things like that. Um, Just making sure you're paying attention to those things. And then from the interior to the exterior, you know, looking at ways to extend your kitchen out, your dining out, right, so that you have the ability to functionally use the space in a good way you don't put your outdoor kitchen so far from the back door that it's you know kind of a hassle to uh, maneuver to it Um, so looking at sort of a master plan I always say that even if you can't afford everything that you want to do it's best to to master plan the exterior Mm -hmm. so that you don't end up something and then go back and say oh we put that you know tree where we wanted this to happen. So I always say, you know, hire a professional if you can and uh, really master plan uh, the outside first, but pay attention to your views. Think about how you want the outside to function, mm-hmm. you know, gathering for your family. Fire pits are really popular, right? Um, right. Do the s'mores, but all of that was all something that we would think about doing, but now everybody wants to do it. Everybody wants to. What about like water features? Yeah, water features, definitely. And if you have the ability to put a water feature close enough, not only visual connection to it, but, you know, the sound connection to Mm -hmm. it as well is really important. And you can do that on the inside. You guys probably talked about that too, but there's all kinds of small little, of course, being a designer or, you know, I hate to, you know, sort of put out there, yeah, just go get an indoor water fountain. It's like, (laughs) those things can look a certain way, right? And, you know. The designer in me wants to sort of say that with cautionary. <laughs> I had a, um, the house that I had in Atlanta was designed by an architect team there. And we had a koi pond in this courtyard and it had a fountain and you could hear it even when the windows were closed. And then obviously when you opened up the windows, you could just hear the fountain and this water and it was just so nice. I just loved it. I was going to bring that point up. That's perfect um, lead in. I had forgotten to say that about, you know, opening your windows, you know, it's like open your windows and feel the air, hear the sounds, you know, the birds, the water features, all of those kinds things yeah when I first uh what Sherry I was gonna say that's forest bathing in your house yeah (laughs) right (laughs) I have a funny story um when I first moved to Houston and I was looking for a house that was a big deal for me was you know natural light being able to open up my windows and having good airflow and I went to look at this one really really nice townhome and it had these beautiful windows in the front but I noticed it didn't seem like they opened And so I was asking the agent, the seller agent, I was like, do these windows open? And she was like, no, no, they don't open. And I'm like, gosh, that's unfortunate. You know, it'd be really great if they could open. I want to be able to open my windows. And she's like, honey, we don't open up our windows in Houston. And I was like, you can open your windows in Houston. And it's really nice. Exactly. Well, I think that's what I was saying. It's sort of, we've turned, you know, it's sort of the tides have shifted because um, that's really, you know, people used to talk about, I don't want to be outside. It's miserable. And I think the reality of it now is the awakening to the outside is very pleasant here. Yeah. You know, a lot of time of the year. I mean, and it may go maybe hot one day and then cool the next. I mean, you, you know, it sort of does get broken up, but still you have that ability I told Sherry when I bought this townhouse that our two favorite rooms here are the two rooms with the two big picture windows on the second floor. And luckily I get to look out the tops of trees. And so, and the windows open. Yeah, it's been, it's a different thing, I think for Houstonians. And I've lived here since I was two to think about. So we have to sort of educate our, our clients in, 
in that respect, I think that, yeah, you can open windows here. I mean, we have, we, we want fireplaces in Houston. Yeah. Yeah. We should be able to open our windows in Houston. Um, and have the fireplace on. Fireplace exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> All at the same time. <laughs> um, I guess you were taught when you were talking about the edible gardens, and you were talking about kind of like easy, uh, what, what's something that that's easy to take care of, easy to plant, probably something people could get started with, maybe you mentioned like potted on a terrace. Yeah. So, I mean, I think um, a couple of really easy sort of plants would be, like I said, citrus trees, you know, any of those in pots are really good. You do have to think about how you plant and pot things. It's always good to make sure that you put some of that big bull rock at the bottom of your pot so that there's sort of natural drainage in there so that the roots don't if you accidentally overwater. So citrus trees can go in pots. Rosemary is a great herb to plant and to, you know, cook with and it's fragrant. It doesn't need a lot of water. So that's a good one to have around. And then, you know, just in terms of like traditional, you know, veggie gardens and things like that. I mean, I've had lots of good luck with tomatoes. You just have to sort of keep an eye on things depending, but now you can sort of purchase them almost ready to fruit. And so okay. it's not as tricky as growing them from little bitty plant or seed. Mm-hmm. Here in Houston, you know, in a garden, okra is really easy to grow. Oh, oh um, I love okra. Cucumbers are really easy to grow. Now those things need a little bit more space like more sort of like a raised bed in your backyard. Now, um, like you mentioned in the patio, I think citrus trees, herbs like uh, rosemary, I mentioned uh, oregano, thyme, those kind of things can grow in pots pretty easily, but you do have to have sun. You know, that's kind of, you know, there's so much that you have to think about for all of the plants and it's different for, for every plant, right? So most things that flower and fruit need full sun okay you know and it's just hard to get around that what about cilantro i cannot grow cilantro i don't know why i i, I think it's kind of fragile you know it just sort yeah. of isn't i mean you would think that it was real hardy and it would just take off but yeah, uh, yeah i so it's not me I, I always it's not you i always say to clients you know because plants are you know they're living things and sometimes they find the perfect spot and it makes you think oh this is easy to grow and then you tell somebody else to to grow that and it's a disaster you know it's sometimes it's really hit and miss um i'm trying to think of some other i had some luck with um i'm not great with plants so <laughs> so if i can find something that is probably pretty hardy if it if it survives i had grown mint one time and that was did that one and i did basil and that seemed to do, do really well too but the cilantro yeah. was the same thing with me yeah me too it. Well, we're all on the same page with that. Um, No, mint is really easy. The thing you have to be careful, if you're doing it in a pot, it's great. Because if you plant Uh it in the yard or in a garden, it can take over. So doing it in a pot is really a good idea. So yeah, those are kind of, you know, you can see all all kinds of things you could do with rosemary, mint, Mm -hmm. citrus. You could really sort of bring that inside your house and really use it in your cooking. You know, you know, Jackie, one of, um, there's a guy that lives on the properties and he used to manage the apartments that I live. I live in a really old 1930s art deco super I love it it's super cute and uh but he is in the process and he has been for a couple of years of making our property an edible landscape so we have limes and lemons and basil we have carrots we have spinach we have bok choy and I'm just like I'm just watching all of this grow and it's just it's really it's super cool to just like if I walk to the mailbox I can just pick a tomato and I saw an art I think she was an architect it was a TED talk and she was talking about biophilic design and she showed a rendering of like just think about down, being downtown and seeing rivers and you know rocks to sit on like right outside like we were at what where was PDR at Allen Center like to Allen or something like that uh-huh. at the front doors and there's a stream right there you know like yeah you can only imagine if there was like fruit fruited trees like just walking out and walking just take up fruit need it Walking downtown and just picking a, you know, yeah, like a, that'd be awesome. Wouldn't that be awesome? I think it, it would. Pick up your, uh, pick up your sides on the way or your dinner on the way to on the way home. 
how much time does he spend in that garden? A lot. Yeah. I think that's kind of the, you know, you guys had mentioned to me about a manicured yard or garden versus, you know, natural. And that's kind of the decision sort of uh, factor is who's going to take care of it is the question. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes we think that the natural is going to be less maintenance because it's natural. But the yeah. reality, it could, you've seen those, probably those movies or those uh, documentaries on what would happen if there were no people, you know, mm-hmm. on the planet anymore and how the vegetation and everything would just take over. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's kind of what would happen. So when you have a natural garden and edibles and flowering plants, there's deadheading, there's clipping, there's all kinds of things that you have to do to it to keep it from sort of overtaking itself, I think. It's really kind of interesting too, because if you find the right person, we were hired on a couple of projects to do a landscape installation, but then we sort of took over the maintenance because they were sort of more garden-like projects less, you know, manicured. And, you know, I mean, we would have to be on site, you know, once a week and and really look at things and make sure that, you know, they had the right nutrients and we clipped at the right time. I mean, it really does take someone with knowledge, not just your guy that's going to take care of your yard. So when you do the manicured stuff, most of the time, those guys know how to clip a boxwood and how to edge the grass and keep the ligustrum in the shape you want it to be in, those kind of things. But they don't necessarily know. I mean, I've had a couple locations where we come in and and the guys didn't know that a certain ground cover was not weeds. You know, we've had some very disappointed clients when we've gotten rid of the Australian violets and they're like, no. And I come, you know, right. Well, I think that's, I think that's really interesting because that I would have never thought of it that way. Right. I would have right manicured would be more maintenance, whereas the more wild would not be, but you're right. Like I, I, I see that now. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So for you, like what, if somebody was going to start like something in their backyard or they wanted to bring it into their home, like what's an, like an average person, like an hour a week, two hours a week? Well, okay. So it kind of depends, right? If you were talking about, you know, someone starting small, who's never sort of done any kind of growing or gardening or anything like that, maybe the best idea is like three pots, right? Um, Whether they're inside or outside, you know, and just sort of doing a couple of things, like trying one thing, like the rosemary and trying a couple of other things in pots. And and then it's not going to take that long to take care of those things, right? But if you're talking sort of out in your big yard, you know, that's a whole different story. And it could be a lot of different things, depending on what you're actually doing or taking care of. Mm Because I know I have quite a few plants inside my house, and they can take me up to an hour, at least once a week to water them. Because I actually take them I put them in the sink and I water I water each one instead of just going you know with a container and putting some water in but it takes me about an hour to 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 maintain them and then I have a few plants outside that I water and that that's at least 30 minutes uh for me a week so I would say about two hours a week I spend on my plants Yeah, depending on how many you have, right? Certainly 30 minutes to a couple hours. It's being willing to put that time in. And a lot of people sort of just bring in the plant. They may water it at first and not really care too much after that. And it dies. And then it's like, oh, I'm not very good with plants. It's like, well, you know, yeah, but you didn't take care of that plant. Um, (laughs) That's me. (laughs) Well, I see your orchid in the back Candace and I you know they're just so beautiful and you know you get them as gifts a lot of time I give them as gifts a lot of times because they're just so pretty but I've almost me I don't have a green thumb with orchids and so to me they're almost like cut flowers like it's pretty for a while and I'll try to keep it alive I have luck with orchids I don't have luck with any other plants but the orchids um I don't know what it is I've mastered the orchid You know, maybe it's some kind of, you know, we like how we connect with certain animals, you know, it's sort of you're a dog person or a cat person. Maybe you're an orchid person or you're an, uh, a, a rosemary person. It is my favorite. I mean, orchids are my favorite flower. Uh-huh. I, I really just find it kind of easy to take care of them because I've, I've figured out, you know, what it is I need to do. And it's not really that much. I mean, like, I don't have it sitting, you know, it's like an interior pot inside of a pot. And then I put these either rocks or those styrofoam, they call them peanuts under there. 
so that uh-huh. it doesn't sit in water. And then I literally right. just water the, you know, I don't get anything on the leaves or anything. And I just water the soil like once a week and I keep it in a window. That's it. That's the routine. You figured it out. I was going to share with you guys that they're in this world of technology now, right? There are apps now that you can learn about the specific type of plant that you have. And it will tell you like the best place in terms of lighting requirements. It'll tell you how often to water it. It can give you like nutrient, you know, checkups and things like that. So the first one is called Vera, V-E-R-A. And that's the one that gives like watering reminders. Everything is going like this technology, you know, we're kind of mixing the natural and the technology, nature and technology together. Then there's another one called Flourish or yeah, Flourish, F-L-O-R-I-S-H, Plant Care Companion. And I think that's the one that I've seen that, it also has like a light meter that you can use. So you like, what is enough light? And so there's all kinds of technology now, even for, and I think both of those are free that you can use. And so that might be a way for people listening to sort of get started with, you got your three types of house plants and now you can sort of log in what you're going to do with them. That's awesome. I love it. I had no idea that there were apps like that. That is great. That's like totally up my alley. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. App, like- you, have you seen the one, I, I feel like most people know about this, but there's the plant identification app. I get pictures sent to me from my friends all the time. What is this? Oh, (laughs) that's funny. And I'm like, you need to get an app. There's an app for that. (laughs) You don't need to call me. There's an app for that. Exactly. (laughs) But these are different though, you know, with the the light meter and the watering schedule. And it really just sort of tells you all about plants. Yeah, I love that. Well, and I think that's really great for people starting out. Yeah. So we can put that, you you have, you gave us some resources too. And we can, we're going to put all of that we don't have show notes right now, but we're going to put it on our website. What are we doing, Candice? Yeah, we'll have a link that we can give out to get to some of our resources and links and stuff like that from our podcast. But I had a question. I'm curious about this because I've been wanting to do it. Been researching it for a very long time, doing a living wall. Right. Do you have like, what, what are the best plants for that? And is it, can you do it? inside also or is it just is it best to have it outside well again I feel like this is sort of my standard answer even in class right it's like there's not just one way there's not just one thing right and there's so many factors that play into it I have not personally had any experience with a living wall inside. I've talked about it in projects and, you know, of course, students love to put the living walls in in their projects. Well, why don't you do some research on that and see (laughs) if that's something you want to do. Now, outside, you know, again, plants like the, all of the sedums, Mm -hmm. they're like the tiny succulent looking Mm -hmm. plants, Mm -hmm. but there's all different varieties and colors and leaf shapes. It's S-E-D-U-M. Those are what a lot of people use in the living walls outside. Mm -hmm. I don't know how well that translates inside. Also things like bromeliads, those types of succulents, again, depends on your light uh, availability and that sort of thing. And I don't know, you know, outside we've done sort of the trays that hang on to like steel structures and things Uh like that. Um, And then you can even purchase pre-seeded trays, right, with the right types of plant material in them. Yeah, some of those are just so beautiful. I don't have any experience with them inside, so I I can't sort of tell you on that, but I know it would be awesome to do. I just, you know, you'd have to be very careful about watering and it's all self-contained. There are a couple of companies that will do indoor wallscapes. There's, and they're not, it's, they're out of preserved moss and you don't okay. have them and succulents. I was going to, I looked at one for, uh, they would do a logo in it. They'll, they'll do the actual wallscapes, but I was looking at one for, for, for a logo and um, they're really cool, but they're low maintenance. Do they come in and perform maintenance on them? Um, I have to look it up again. I can send you the company that I was looking at and let you wonder about those things. Like, I mean, I think it's like one of those things where it can look really, and we find this in landscaping sometimes too. It's just, you know, it looks really great at the beginning. Don't know exactly what to do. It's just in the end, it just sort of dies Mm -hmm. and doesn't get, doesn't maintain itself as well as it could. Yeah. I don't know if you can see this, but like, this is the, it's just a logo, but Uh 
but they but they do yeah, that's cool it's very cool but it, it again it's it's preserved moss and succulents which i'm assuming that you don't it, it doesn't they say it doesn't require any maintenance but you're right what is it going to look like maybe in three or four years you know like i don't know right. Wow. Right. yeah yeah well, and there's those there are those air plants that have become sort of popular now too right that they get nutrients from the air that might be something that would work as well i killed an air plant <laughs> don't know how but i did it did not survive not make it no yeah i thought this is great i don't have to take care of it i don't have to do anything but i think you do have to like spray it sometimes or something spray like it. that yeah, yeah. Like missed it with the water yeah yeah, yeah. I, I didn't well that was one of one of y'all's questions we didn't touch on are there better plants for better places in your house mm -hmm. and that has to do with like the moisture in the air right so you know certain plants are going to be better in the kitchen where it tends to be more dry right okay. and then certain plants are going to be better like in a bathroom or something like that where the humidity level is greater right so it's just things to think about and the other thing I wanted to mention too is make sure all of this is available online in terms of resources you have to think about um, toxicity in plants if you have children and pets. Pets, yes. Because some of the real common house plants like asparagus fern, um, the pathos ivy, just the regular ivy, those are toxic to dogs and cats. And there's different levels of what it would do. It's not necessarily that they're going to die from it, but they could. You know, you probably all heard about the sago palm. Yes. And the seeds yes. of the sago palm. If the dog eats one of those, it, it can be tragic. Don't forget to check that out as well. Yeah. And um, aren't uh, poinsettias, aren't, aren't they? Yeah. Yep. And what about um, specific plants that clear toxins, like from a room or a space? And I'm not so sure about out outdoors, but what do you know about that? Yeah. Well, what I do know is that it takes a lot more plants than yeah. we would necessarily have in a room to have the effects of that come true. I mean, I think that the benefit we get out of plants indoors is more of a visceral, more of a, it does help to a certain extent, but it's really not clearing out the toxicity because you would have to have a hundred plants in a 10 by 10 room to make, make a difference on those kind of things. But I mean, if, if a plant is fragrant, certainly that could help. You had mentioned something about eucalyptus, like that's a great indoor plant. You know, it can grow indoor it obviously grows outdoors and can become really big but if you get a, a sort of dwarf version of that the citrusy you know like citronella plants and things like that that those can sort of give fragrance in a room that may make you feel like the air is yeah clear than it is clear well you got to go forest bathing <laughs> <laughs> right garden flower bathing or garden flower yeah. bathing <laughs> Jackie, so how do people get in touch with you? You are still doing your landscaping, but you're only doing uh, select projects right now. Yeah. Yes. I'm focusing right now on really teaching, you know, with the online classes, really sort of trying to develop these online classes so that we can continue to offer them, you know, mm -hmm. not just as a, uh, we had to do this kind of thing through the pandemic. But yeah, I, I mean, I do some landscaping. I have, I still have my um, really contact info and my projects and stuff on house under wildflower landscape design, that's probably the best way to get okay. in touch with me for that. And then, like I said, too, if anybody's interested in interior design, they should just go to the HCC website and get in touch that way. Totally. And let me know if they start doing landscape design, because I'm definitely interested in taking a class because I, I do have a lot of clients that ask for that. And like I said, I usually, I can vision it, but then I need to right. hire someone the, to work with. Yeah. But I, I, I understand the, yeah. I was going to say the plants and, and in addition to the planting, there's all of the hardscaping and, you know, all of those, mm -hmm. you know, stones and gravels and, you know, all the other materials that, you know, you would want to sort of know about and right. be able to get. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think it would be pretty successful if we did it. That's for sure. I think there'd be a lot of demand for it. Oh, totally. Totally. Especially right now with everything that's going on. So yeah, I, I have, I have one more question and then um, I guess we could probably wrap it up. I am curious how you see biophilic playing out in the future. I, I think it's here to stay. Do you think? Well, I was going to say, I think going back to what you said about just sort of how technology is going to play in it. 
you know, is one thing. And so we're not going to get rid of technology. So I think that need to counterbalance the technology with nature and natural, the natural connection is not going to go away. It's probably going to become even greater. Mm -hmm. And then I was also thinking about people wanting that sort of walkability now, right? So instead of people moving out to the suburbs, you know, everybody coming into town and really looking at Houston is so spread out, right? That, you know, when you think about walkability, that's another thing that I think is a huge shift in change. You know, even working at PBR, Sherry, I remember, you know, people coming in from other cities like Boston and, you know, we'd say, okay, let's go to lunch. And then we get in our car and drive yeah. like, you know, two blocks over and they're like, could we not have walked? And we're like, oh, <laughs> We don't walk here in Houston. We don't walk here. <laughs> we don't walk here. Um, and I think that's shifting. So I think that idea of walkability and just like you mentioned about the projects that could be happening downtown to enhance the outdoor space so that walking does feel good, right? And so I think that ties into biophilic design and that sort of connection from place to place or within a place like all of the developments like city center where you can work, dine, shop, exercise, you know, you can do everything in one spot. That's attractive to people because we're not having to get into our cars. And my new place that I bought is right behind the River Oaks uh, shopping center. And it was one of the reasons I didn't want to leave Montrose. I just didn't want to do it. But the thought of going somewhere where I was going to be out in a sort of isolated for everybody. And now it's it's like I could walk to anything that I wanted to. Unfortunately, nothing's really open because of COVID. <laughs> but once if we get back to normal, I'll get to walk everywhere. I think that's kind of the way of the future. Things are changing here in Houston. I don't know why I watched this documentary, but it was called Jasper Mall. Have you guys seen that? No. It's about the malls and how they are become like people are not frequenting the malls anymore. You know, maybe the Galleria that people are leaving and they're becoming more of these outdoor spaces where people are starting to walk around to do their shopping, like city center, you know, the village has been around forever and it's like a big outdoor mall. I mean, of all these, right. but yeah, it was about the, the, the mall era is coming to an end, you know, it's like interesting that you would pick that as a documentary. <laughs> I think I really wanted to, I think I really wanted to take a nap because I had gone for a <laughs> You're like, I, I know, a documentary about malls. <laughs> I do not like malls. Well, I have to admit, I'm a super shopper. It's not something I'm proud of, but it runs in the family. And uh, <laughs> I will say I was watching some crazy little romantic comedy movie the other night, and it was around Christmas time. And I saw them going to the malls and I was like, oh, I'm not going to get to go to the gallery for Christmas shopping this year. Aside from that, I do like, you know, like the Heights, River Oak shopping area here, lots of little pockets, the village, all of those. I would rather go and do those things than go to a mall. Yeah, I know the, the Galleria, I think, is probably here to stay. So. Yeah, that's kind of a different thing. It's, it's yeah, a different it's, experience, yeah. <laughs> well, plus you can go ice skating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you go ice skating, get massage if you want. We have those massage chairs and they have a reflexology place. You can go get little foot massage. And you can get a Tesla. And you can get I was going to say, and you can <laughs> custom order your Tesla. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All in one spot. <laughs> well, I mean, cool. if you're going to drive, yeah, right. you might as well be in a Tesla. Right. <laughs> Candice, you have any more questions? No, this was awesome. Thank you so much, Jackie. It was great. Thank great. you both for inviting me. And I really appreciate you guys sort of thinking of me. And it was fun. So Good. I enjoyed it. Good. You'll have to come back. There's still so much to talk about. So maybe you come back and we can continue our conversation. Sounds like a plan. Well, thanks Thank for listening, you. everyone. Thanks, Jackie. Thank, Thank you. Jackie. Join us every other week for a new episode. Go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to us so you don't miss out on any new episodes. And please share our podcast with your family and friends. If you like what you hear, please give us five stars and a positive review. It will greatly help our rating and success of the podcast. You can also keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Health Wellness. To find out more information, visit our website at healthwellness.com. We welcome your input. If you have any ideas, comments, or questions, you can email us at healthandwellness at gmail.com.